Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Keen Clancy and on today's episode we welcome Mr Aidan O'Driscoll, former Secretary General of both the Department of Justice and the Department of Agriculture and current Head of the Commission on the Defence Forces. Uh, welcome on to the show Aidan, uh, thanks very much for joining us. And thank you for having me Keen. I really welcome this opportunity. So today we're, we, have a, we have a number of kind of questions we're going to tick through on the Commission on, on the Defence Forces and kind of try and give people out there a bit more of an idea of what it's about and, and where, where it may go and, 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 and a few more details around it. So first of all, as we would normally do with interviewees onto the show, we'll ask them a bit about their own background and, and, and how they've kind of come to where they are now. So could you give us just a breakdown of your own sort of previous career and, and how you've ended up, your pathway to becoming head of, head of the Commission of the, on the Defence Forces? Sure, I'd be glad, glad to do that. As to how I ended up being chair of the Commission on the Defence Forces, you kind of have to ask Minister Coveney. It was his idea. So, uh, But when I got the, the phone call from him, I didn't hesitate because I have a great affection for and genuine commitment to the Defence Forces. Uh, my own background is, as, I've, as you've said, I've had the honour, and it's a very unusual honour, to have been the Secretary-General of two large, important government departments, both agriculture uh, and justice. And in both of those places, I led very large numbers of people um, dealing with very difficult issues and making very tough decisions. In the Department of Justice, of course, I dealt with the Commission on the Future of Policing. Uh, and I also led the largest transformation or the deepest transformation ever undertaken in an Irish government department. Uh, when I say I led it, I led it as Secretary-General. It was a brilliant top team that led it. So I think that that transformation experience and the experience of leading you know, large groups of people in, in making tough decisions maybe is, is what uh, popped into Minister Coveney's mind when he was looking for a suitable uh, chair for this. My own background is uh, as an economist and a policy analyst. I'm, a, I'm an evidence guy. And a quant. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, maybe of interest too, and maybe somewhat of relevance, I've worked a lot overseas. So I spent eight years working in development in Africa and Asia, uh, including working for the United Nations, actually. So okay, well. uh, there are other ways of working for the UN besides the military. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that sounds like a really wide breadth of experience and a, a lot of experiences that would come in a sort of a parallel experience to a lot of members of, of the Defence Forces with that, with that overseas kind of experience as well with, with the United Nations. Yeah, absolutely. And I would have met members of the Defence Forces when I was working in Africa. Um, and in fact, General Pakenham and I, from ARCO, were, were just trading stories of us both working in Liberia in troubled times. Yeah. You know, so I think I have some relevant experience there. I wouldn't over overstretch it, but I think I have some relevant experience. Yeah, a, good, a, good bit of, a good bit of crossover. And we, we will come back a little bit later to that uh, commission, commission on Policing, just a little bit later in, in the programme. But what, what I want to kind of talk about now is a bit on the makeup of the Commission. And, yeah. and obviously, you, you, you were not the person that selected the people on the, the Commission on the, on the Defence Forces. But can you give us a bit of detail in, into, the, into the composition of, of, the, of the Commission and their backgrounds and skill sets? Yeah, look, I have to say I'm, I, I'm absolutely blown away by the quality of the people on the commission. There are 15 of us. It's quite a large group for a commission, especially working virtually and so on at the moment. It's a bit of a challenge. But the quality of, of the commission members is extraordinary. We have very experienced uh, Irish and overseas military people. Um, we have also got very experienced people from academia with a background in particular in security and defence. We have former senior civil servants, two former secretaries general, including myself. 
Um, we have people with great experience both in the private and the public sector in relation to human resources and industrial relations in that area, which is extremely important. And we even have one member who was brave enough to get involved in politics. So uh, it, it is, I can assure you, a, a very strong commission. These are people who are used to making tough decisions. It's not going to be a timid commission. It's going to be a commission that knows its own mind and will make recommendations that it wishes to make. Yeah, no, that that's good, very good to hear, and I'm sure for our listeners that would be is 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 a is a good phrase to hear. Um, one of the things that interested me quite a lot about on reading down through the, the composition, in particular, obviously everybody's background is, is very interesting, and yeah. it is a very highly skilled commission. But the international members on the on the commission, do you think that? Um, they'll work closely to align Ireland's defence outputs and structures with comparable international peers. I know there's a, there's a, a former uh, Chief of Defence from, uh, from Norway, I believe, on the Commission as well. That's right. You have, you have three uh, non-Irish members, all, all from Nordic countries, uh, interestingly, and, and I welcome that very strongly. My past experience has always taught me that Ireland is very close to the Nordic countries in, in, in our size and positioning and also, but also in our attitudes and, and broad policy in, in broad terms. So we have, yes, the former Chief of Defence of Norway. We have the, uh, a Finnish general who's an admiral. We have a Finnish, uh, recently retired admiral. We've also a recently retired Finnish admiral who is now a senior official in the Department of Defence in, in Finland. Um, who was also head of the EU military staff. And we have a very senior Danish academic who's an expert on security and defence matters and worked in their College of Defence. Uh, they bring a tremendous amount of experience and, and perspective to our work and all have already uh, been contributing uh, notably in, in that way. I'm really, really glad to have them. Obviously, there are differences too, I mean, between their countries and ours in relation to different approaches to neutrality in some cases or to NATO membership and so on. But those are issues that are actually beyond the remit of the Commission in any case and are set by the um, by national policy as set out in the White Paper on Defence. But they bring a breadth of experience uh, and another perspective that I think is really important, Kian, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think there's a, a lot of people are, are very excited about that. I suppose you, you mentioned the, ter- the the kind of brief of the, of the Commission and that I suppose, moves us kind of nicely on to, to, to the terms of reference for the Commission itself. So w- would you be able to talk us through those terms of reference and, and what are the issues that the Commission covers? And, and also importantly, what does it not look at? Yeah, sure. So look, what we're asked to do is to set out a, a vision for the future of the Defence Forces, both in immediate terms, but also long term, uh, specifically for 2030 and beyond. So we, we are very much future focused, right? We're not looking backwards. We're, we're anchored firmly in, in the defence forces of the future. What kind of defence forces we need for the 21st century? And in particular, our terms of reference ask us to, to look at the appropriate structures, uh, capabilities and staffing for a defence force of the future. Uh, and I think those three headings, uh, they cover a multitude, to be honest with you, of issues, right? A real multitude of issues. Um, but they do provide a very important focus for us. And we have approached our work initially uh, around those three pillars of structures, capabilities and staffing. Um, it's, a, it's a very large agenda, to be honest with you, Kian. And at this early stage, we are sifting through all of those issues and trying to knock them into shape into those three boxes. Um, we obviously work within the terms of... Uh, national defence policy as set out in the 
white paper on defence and mm. its update. I don't regard that as limiting us uh, to any great extent. It, you know, so we're not asked to examine questions like should Ireland be neutral. That's that's not a that's not yeah. within our remit. Um, uh, there's also issues within the staffing he- heading. Obviously, people are interested in whether or not we're looking at remuneration. So uh, we don't have a remit to look at pay rates. Right? There's a separate, whole separate processes in play in relation to pay rates. And it would be quite confusing if our commission got involved in that. But we are asked to look at uh, remuneration systems and structures, particularly with regard to uh, recruitment and retention. So we will be doing that. So there's a very large number of what you could call HR issues under that staffing heading. In fact, an enormous number. Uh, and we're going to have to sift through them and see what we can uh, best focus on. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's obviously a very onerous, onerous and it's, it's, it's a task that you set down for a year. It's going to take a huge amount of work. Um, just on that as well, I know, for example, Racco made a, made a submission yesterday just talking about... about that like overtime that kind of, is that something that the commission is empowered to to like examine as well within that kind of remuneration bracket or is that well as I say uh, what we're so we by the way we had really good engagement yesterday with uh, with Racco with PD Fora and Ordifra it was really really excellent uh, very strong presentations by those three groups uh, and very detailed submissions made also with further material to come from them uh, so I'm really grateful to them. Um, we will look. We will look, as I said, at the remuneration structures and systems. I know that's a little bit uh, airy fairy, but it, it does mean we won't get be getting into actual rates of mm-hmm. pay, either for core pay or overtime pay or anything like that. But certainly the structure of, of remuneration we will look at, and there does seem to me to be a number of things to look at there. I don't want to prejudge it, so I don't want to say too much. Of course, but, yes. but we will be looking at the structure of it. For example, the structure of all the various allowances, uh, which are quite complicated, I have yeah. to say. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, um, and as you say, it's a huge issue that looms large for an awful lot of members. But um, and just for our for our listeners um, f- who may not be in the defence force itself, so uh, RACO is the representative association for commission officers. PDFR is the permanent defence forces other ranks representative association, and RDFRA is the reserve defence forces representative association for those who may not be familiar with those terms. Um, so that's that's all re- really interesting, and people I'm sure would welcome would welcome hearing what, what you're able to to look at. There obviously has been some concern amongst amongst members and, among, and amongst the media as well. Um, uh, people who've been critical of the terms of reference, that they're not broad enough, that they should focus maybe on a broader defence architecture. And I know this is sort of <laughs> partial. You may, some people may regard this as almost an elephant in the room, perhaps. But on the broader defence architecture, architecture in Ireland, both civil and, and public service. Can, can you comment on that? Or how would you respond to people that have a concern about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the elephant in the room, Ken. I, <laughs> I, I, I look, uh, um, well, let me first of all say, I can t- assure you the terms of reference we have are quite broad enough and the, the, the gamut of issues that we have to deal with are quite broad enough to keep us busy for the year. So I'm, I'm not displeased that it doesn't stretch into the department itself, which is what the issue you're really raising is. Um, I'd point out that there is a separate process going on, an organisation review of uh, the Department of Defence. It's going to um, work through, actually, the same period as we're working through, through this year. Mm -hmm. I've been through organisation reviews of government departments. They're very, very demanding uh, and searching reviews. So I wish them well on that. I I think it, it will be very useful that the two things are going together. Uh, we may have to join them up at the end in some way. Um... 
I, I, there is an elephant in the room I'd like to address, if I may use the opportunity. I know that there is out there a kind of a narrative about a, a, a difficult relationship between the Defence Forces and, the, uh, and the, uh, the Department. I can't speak to what was the case in the past, but I have to say I've been very impressed at the, uh, the, joint, the, the, the way work is being done jointly by the entire Defence Organisation on, for example, the White Paper Projects. I've also obviously had a lot of engagement with the Secretary-General and with the Chief of Staff. Uh, I know them both well, and I am very impressed also by the way in which they work closely together. So I think some of that narrative, to be honest with you, you know, I would say to people, don't believe everything you hear on Twitter. Yeah, and I, and I might look... We're obviously for, we're forward-looking. The commission is a forward-looking body, and and both organisations are a forward-looking body in the defence architecture. So, so I'm sure there are a lot of people who want to kind of maybe leave the past behind, perhaps, and kind of move forward in, in, into into the the rest of the 21st century and, and the future of defence in Ireland. That's so right, Kim. That's exactly the point. I mean, as I said, we're a future-focused commission. We're looking at defence forces for the 21st century. And as you know, the challenges that are out there in the, in, in, at the current time, some of them are old challenges, I have to say, uh, in, in the defence and security area. I've been around in this country for a long time. But some are very new and very different and require different approaches, different technologies and different structures uh, and uh, different training, different skills. So we've got to move on, look to mm-hmm. the future. Yeah, 100%. Um, so one of, one of the kind of reasons that we're kind of doing, doing the, the podcast now is that there is a public consultation process ongoing at the moment for the Commission. Um, can you talk us through that process and how long is it open for? We're, we're obviously looking to release um, the podcast and maybe encourage some further engagement with that prior to the closing date. So can you just talk us through that a little bit? Well, the time is good because just, just yesterday we actually extended the deadline uh, to the 19th of March for submissions. Um, and we've got, I don't know how many we have right now, but we're certainly over 100 submissions from individuals and organisations. And I've been talking to some other uh, departments and organisations about their submissions. Uh, so I know there's more coming. There's a lot more com- uh, stuff coming in. Um, public consultation is extremely important for two reasons. One is because just it gives people an opportunity to put ideas and, and thoughts to us. You know, we have a brilliant commission, but... We don't know everything, so so good ideas can come in that way. But there's another reason too, and that is, I think there's kind of a consensus that there is a there is a lack of of, of breadth in the debate in this country on security and defence. We would like to see a, a wider debate, a more engaged debate by people. So engaging in a public consultation in itself is a way of beginning to encourage that. And we will probably do a few other innovative things in that space. We might do a webinar or two, for example. Uh, we're looking at that at the moment. Uh, but I, I certainly hope that relevant people uh, and organisations will... Uh, make submissions before the 19th of March. I would ask them to look at our terms of reference, though, and in particular to keep those three headings in mind of of capabilities, structures and staffings of a defence force of the future. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I would like people to focus on. Yeah, yeah, in fairness. And, I mean, I suppose it is a, it is a long-standing challenge for, for the defence forces, and, and we know more than, than the people in public relations, but there's no getting defence and security onto the sort of public agenda in Ireland. So, I mean, it is a very positive... Yeah. process that, that you're undertaking. When, when the public consultation is, is completed, Aidan, will you then be meeting like the full spectrum of ranks within the Defence Forces, uh, junior personnel in, in various barracks and on various ship vessels and that kind of a thing? 
This is this is so important to me personally, and I know to other members of, of the commission also. I really, really want to get out there and and meet people of all ranks uh, in their in their natural environment, in their barracks, in their locations. Uh, obviously, COVID's a problem for us. Um, in fact, just yesterday we decided to we will run a little pilot visit. It'll probably be t- very likely to Calbrua Barracks, uh, very likely here in, in Dublin. Um, because I want to try uh, a mixture of a physical visit and a virtual visit. So I will probably go physically myself, but some members of the commission may have to visit virtually, yeah. uh, particularly uh, the, the foreign members, obviously. Um, but I'd like to get that up and going <clears throat> as quickly as I can. What is apparent now is where, as I would have thought of front-loading uh, our visits to barracks and so on at the beginning of our work, it's now much more likely to stretch out throughout the year uh, because we will ov- hopefully be in a better position to make visits in the second half of the year. But I agree, it's a hugely important point. I really want to get out there and I very definitely want to meet all ranks. Yeah, and uh, because we'd, we'd actually, I discussed this pre- previously that like, and, and I have heard that you're very anxious to get out and and it did strike me that for example if you had intended on visiting overseas locations that given the COVID-19 situation which is affecting everybody so so massively that that would really have to be pushed out un- until towards the end of 2021 and I w- it, it did strike me how would that affect say the planning of of where the commission wants to be six months from now uh, and 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 I presume in a, in a more settled environment, you'd like to have all the consultation with everybody as quickly as you could so that then you could deliberate and, and look at it. Yeah, and that would have been my original thought. But look, I think there's a virtue in this too, actually, that as we go on developing our thinking in the Commission, we will continue with the visits. Yeah. So we maybe at the, at the beginning it'll be more consultation and towards the middle and end of our work it'll be more truth-testing you know, with people. And there's, there's a virtue in that too. So let's look at the positive. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And I mean, you could say that maybe towards the latter end of twenty twenty one, some of your visits might be sort of you might your que- your questions might be more nuanced, or your yeah, yeah that kind of, that kind of thing. That's right. I suppose with that in mind, just over the next twelve months, taking into account visits, what kind of phases have you have you have you planned out in general for for the commission, or where do you expect to be? Yeah, at a general level, we we've adopted we're adopting a three phase approach. So the first phase is just issue identification, and obviously the consultation and the engagement both with the uh, senior military staff and also with. Uh, uh, the staff association is an important part of that process. So just trying to gather in all of the issues or all of the main issues, put them on the table, sort them out into the three boxes, as I say, and try to determine in particular, we won't be able to deal with everything. Uh, I mean, we will we will try our damnedest, but we simply won't be able to deal with everything. There's too many issues there. So we will have to sort them out into those that we think we can best deal with and be most impactful on in our recommendations and those that we might have to put to, to one side or suggest that others look at. So we are in the issue identification phase uh, right now. The second phase will be the longest phase where we do a deep dive into the issues and we will be breaking into subgroups for part of that work. Um, That is the virtue of having 15 people. We can do that. Uh, And we are just setting up those subgroups at the moment. That's what we were working on yesterday. Uh, And then the final phase, and in my experience, the most, it sounds the easiest, but in my my experience, the most difficult, is the report writing phase, which will be the final three or four months of of our term. Because that's where you you actually have to put your conclusions into real words and agree them. And that's where the rubber really hits the road. and I suppose to to that end as well, talking about kind of what you what you said is look, 
you're not going to be able to solve everything, but you, you'll try your damnedest. And, and obviously, there is no magic switch that can be flicked, and all the problems of the defence forces will be solved. And we've we've talked a bit about the terms of reference, but like retention and key focuses for actual serving soldiers on the ground. Obviously, there's a kind of a strategic element, and there's there's an element what what how will the defence forces work best with capability and everything. But as regards retention, like address addressing issues such as like remuneration contracts, career progression, geographical spread, and the, the pensions issue as well. Um, you're satisfied that you have enough scope to look at at all of these various things. I know, I know that like there are a lot of legacy issues there as well. There's a huge number of issues under this heading. In fact, under that, that's all bundled in my head under the staffing heading, right? And uh, yesterday, in fact, we uh, I was in contact with with members of the commission, ask asking various of them to to serve on a staffing subgroup. We have some great expertise, actually, from both outside and inside the defence forces in that area. So I'm very pleased about that. Um, but there's a huge range of issues there, Cian, and uh, career progression, I think, is, is extremely important. Um, people point to uh, recruitment and retention a lot. We've had a lot of uh, submissions uh, uh, on that already. Um, gender, you didn't mention, it's very, very mm-hmm. important. Uh, diversity. Um, all of those issues and all the HR issues that arise around it, including, including as I said, the remuneration structures, um, it's quite a gamut of issues. So we will have it, the staffing subgroup is probably the first one we will set up and get up and running to start working through those issues. Uh, and that work will continue for, for months to come. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and without, I mean, obviously you can kind of say for, say for definite, but within the scope, I mean, we could potentially see things like reorganizations. We could potentially see things like, um, I mean, we don't want to say the word like barrack closures, but like that, that kind of, I mean, that's all within the scope of the, of the commission, not to be negative, but like that change structure is within it. Yeah, you're trying to walk me into trouble now, are you? <laughs> I know, I never would. No, um, I, I, yes, in, the, in, this, in this sense, we've, we're expressly asked to look at structures mm-hmm. and there are big structural issues. Uh, command and control is called out as a, sp- a specific issue in our terms of reference, uh, but there are issues of structures at the whole defence forces level, but also at the level of you know the army, the air corps, the navy, and indeed this whole issue of jointness, which is a really interesting structural issue and and, and looms large in other similar commissions in, in other uh, defence forces around the world. So there's a whole set of issues there uh, around structures that I think are absolutely key, and in fact. I would perhaps see them as um, the first issue in terms of the overall overview of the future of the defence forces. You really need to get a, a clear sense of what kind of structure you you think is necessary for the 21st century, mm-hmm. for the challenges of the future. And from that, a lot flows. Your capabilities are then your next logical question. Some of the issues around staffing will flow from that. Others arise no matter what kind of structure you have. Yeah. Uh, so that's the way we'll approach it. So we will be looking at the structural issues. I'm definitely not going to indicate any kind of conclusions <laughs> at this stage. Of course, I wouldn't expect you to either. Um, because, I, well, I just can't. I, I make the point, again, uh, just at a personal level, I'm, I'm an evidence guy. I, I'm, I'm completely driven by evidence. I think that is also true of other members uh, of the commission. It means we won't be afraid to reach 
um, tough conclusions if that's if that's what's called for. But we'll go on the evidence. Yeah, of course. And I think a lot of a lot of people do appreciate the taking of of the harder decision that what's what's best. And and, and I, I do do take a point that it's important to focus on creating defence forces into the future for the rest of the twenty first century that that's going to serve the country as as in in the best possible way. Um, just, I suppose we talked earlier about, about your involvement in the Policing Commission and, and how do you think that's going to inform your approach to the Commission on the Defence Forces, your involvement previously? Yeah, I wouldn't over overdraw uh, parallels, but we've already drawn things. For, for example, we've set up a completely independent secretariat that reports directly to me. That was drawn directly from my experience with the Commission on the Defence Forces. I said it on day one and there was no pushback from to the Minister and uh, the Department and the Chief of Staff that I wanted a separate secretariat, separate from the Department of Defence Forces, now staffed by experienced people. But they they um, they live here in Agriculture House and they report directly to me, not to anybody else. Uh, so that was one lesson. We've even taken other little things like our rules and confidentiality are directly b- uh, borrowed from the Commission on Police. So these are s- practical kind of learning issues. But look, we have a different job to do. The Defence Forces are different from policing. Remember, that commission w- wasn't just looking at Ungar the Shiokon, it was looking at a much broader issue of policing which stretches into mental health and all kinds of things. Uh, um, so uh, there are things we can borrow from that experience, and obviously it is lodged in my head, uh, any useful um, stuff from that experience. But members of the, of the commission bring all kinds of experience to the table, and all of that experience uh, we will trade on all of that experience in, in the work we do. Okay, and do do you see, for example, like a, an oversight committee being being established to ensure the changes are are actually inculcated into the defence forces at the close of? Um, yeah, we we haven't we haven't reached the point. We're not asked specifically in our terms of reference to su- suggest an implementation process, but we actually haven't clearly we haven't got there yet. Anyway, that would be towards the very end of our work. And one of the aspects of of the defence forces that that many would see is really crying out for, for, for reform and for examination is the, is the Reserve Defence Forces. You yourself are a former member of the uh, Force Customs O'Toole as they were before the former, the former name for the Reserve Defence Forces. So you have some experience in the area from a very practical perspective. Um, how, how, do you see, um, how do you see the new role for the Reserve Defence Forces or, or revitalising it? Or? Yeah, by recalling my FCA experience from so long ago, you're revealing my age, my great age. Um, yeah, look... I, Actually, I think the reserve is hugely important, and it is an area that needs attention. I think there's widespread recognition of this. I've been very struck by a couple of things, actually, in the engagement we've had so far with the chief, uh, with all the GOCs, with uh, all the all of the all of the uh, staff associations, not just Ardi Fra. Everybody name checks the, r- the reserve and says it really is important, and everybody says it needs attention. So we will definitely be giving it that attention. At, In a very simple way, I'd I'd make two points. One is the Irish Defence Forces are very small. I mean, we're a small country, we have a small defence force. And in any imaginable future, even if you have a very optimistic view of the future, there'll still be a small permanent defence force. So in any major challenge, uh, whether it is a security challenge, uh, a natural disaster, or whatever it is that the defence forces are drawn in to help this country deal with, it's very likely we'll need the so-called surge capacity that a reserve provides. Mm-hmm. So we really have to attend to that. that. That means that the reserve comes into play when things get most difficult. So that means you really have to pay attention to it. There's a second aspect that I think a lot of people are paying attention to now, which is 
the need for all kinds of new specialisms uh, and new technical skills in, in the defence forces. And some of those technical skills are present in the private sector, in the public sector, and people out there have these skills. And some of those people are, are willing to and, and very happy to serve in the Reserve Defence Forces. So it's another way of tapping into those skills. Uh, and I think that also is a, is a very important piece. So it, it will definitely get attention in the report. You, you uh, peop, Members of the Reserve Defence Forces can pretty much be assured that with me there, that there's no question that that will be the case. But actually, I, I, because of the issues that arise and the way we're looking at them, I think the Reserve will have to get a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know from my own experience serving with, with, other, with other militaries overseas and, and, and overseas courses and things, there's an awful lot of militaries make extensive use of their Reserve. Um, Especially in the Nordic countries, mm-hmm. which we have well rep- represented on on the Commission, and in fairness to our, our terms of reference, call out the issue of the reserve very, very clearly. So, um, no, we will be dealing with it. Yeah, fantastic. I suppose we're kind of coming coming to the end of our of our time for. But as as a final question, so w- once the Commission delivers its recommendations, and just so people kind of have an have an idea, like what what then is the process? So a report is written, and, and where does it where does it go then, or who is who is it? Who's it handed off to? I hand it straight to the Minister, Minister Coveney, uh, in this case, um, who I know is hugely committed to this commission. Um, I know him very well personally. I've worked very closely with him in the past. Uh, he's hugely committed to this commission and, and very anxious to get this report and see what it says. So it's a report to government. It is then for government decide, to decide whether to implement the recommendations I- in the, in the uh, commission report. We are members of a commission. We can only make recommendations. We don't have a democratic mandate uh, to make decisions. Our government has that mandate. So it's a report to the government. And the, re- the government will then typically set up some sort of implementation structures, which you asked me about early, earlier. Um, that can take various forms. But the crucial step, I think, is the government's response to our recommendations, uh, whether it accepts them, does not accept them, wants to look further at them, or whatever. Uh, I, that, that's what I would point people at. Watch that space. Okay, fantastic. So um, at, at the end of that, um, there's a huge amount of food for thought and a, and, a, and a massive amount of really useful information for people out there. And so thanks very, very much for, for, for giving up your time and coming on the show. It's, it's really appreciated. Thank you very much. No, it's a listen, it's been a real pleasure, Cian, and, and thank you for the opportunity. I would like to say to any members of the Defence Forces who are listening or, or, or watching this, um, that we will, as I said earlier, try to get around um, the barracks and, and other, other, other locations for the Defence Forces uh, as quickly uh, and as thoroughly as we can. And I really, really do look forward to that direct engagement. It's very important. To others who, who, are, who are watching this or, or listening, uh, I would say if you have an interest in the Defence Forces and the future of the Defence Forces, do consider making a submission uh, to the um, consultation before the 19th of March, and in particular to organisations with whom the Defence Forces work. And, and that's quite a few organisations when you count them all up through the public and private sector, and private sector organisations that perhaps have uh, have something to to gain from the work of the Defence Forces in, in the defence of security uh, in this country. But thank you, thank you for this opportunity, it's been great. For further information on the Irish Defence Forces, check out our social media channels and military.ie. Serving members are also encouraged to check out the members area of military.ie. For information on submissions to the Commission on the Defence Forces and the public consultation process, visit www.gov.ie forward slash codf. The Commission's Twitter handle 
is at IRLCODF. Any submissions can also be sent to info at codf.gov.ie. The Irish Defence Forces podcast will be back soon with further episodes. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.